Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Why is it that the Word of God has such different responses among different people? Why do some people readily accept the Word of God and other people soundly reject it? It all has to do with the condition of a person's heart. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The parables of Jesus are some of the most well-loved stories in all of Scripture. By studying the teachings of Christ, we get to know the heart of our Savior and discover what mattered most to Him. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress kicks off a new study on the parables by looking at the parable of the sower. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to a brand new week of Bible teaching on Pathway to Victory. On this Memorial Day, let me join you in saluting the men and women in military service around the world, and especially the families who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the country we love. Today on Pathway to Victory, I'm excited to venture into our next topic with you. For the next few weeks, we're going to focus our complete attention on Jesus. In particular, I'll be shining a spotlight on Jesus' favorite stories. Today's program is monumental for another reason. This is my first occasion to tell you that Pathway to Victory is the recipient of a very significant matching challenge. Generous partners have banded together to give this gift that will match your giving dollar for dollar. This means that right now, whatever amount you're able to give will have twice the impact. But that's not all, because today is also the first occasion to tell you about a brand new children's book I've written for your family. I've written books for children in the past, but this time I want to help guide your children into their next steps with Jesus. My book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. I'm pleased to send you a copy of this fully illustrated children's book when you give a generous gift toward the matching challenge that's active today. Now, it's time to begin the first message in our new series on Jesus' favorite stories. I began this sermon with an illustration from the book, The Weaver. In it, the writer recounts an amazing story that comes from the records of the United States Naval Institute following World War II. I titled today's message, Matters of the Heart. On August 8th, the USS Astoria scored several direct hits on a Japanese vessel, but itself was badly damaged and it sank the next day. About 0200 hours, a young Midwesterner, signalman third-class Elgin Staples, who was aboard the Astoria, was swept overboard by the blast when the number one eight-inch gun turret exploded. Wounded in both legs by shrapnel and shock, He was kept afloat by a narrow life belt that he managed to activate with a simple trigger mechanism. At around 0600 hours, Staples was rescued by a passing destroyer and was returned to the Astoria, whose captain was attempting to save the cruiser. The effort failed, and Staples, still wearing the same life belt, found himself back in the water. It was lunchtime. Picked up again, this time by the USS President Jackson, he was one of 500 survivors of the battle who were evacuated. 
On board the transport, Staples, hugging the life belt with gratitude, looked at a small piece of equipment for the first time. He scrutinized every stitch of the life belt that had served him so well. It had been manufactured by Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and it bore a registration number. When he arrived home, Staples told his story, and he asked his mother, who happened to work for Firestone, about the purpose of the number on the belt. She replied that the company insisted on personal responsibility for the war effort and that the number was unique and assigned to only one inspector. Staples remembered everything about that life belt, including the registration number. There was a moment of stunned silence in the room when he quoted the number on the life belt. And then his mother said, That was my personal code that I affixed to every item I was responsible for approving. The one who gave him birth and whose DNA he bore gave him rescue in the swirling waters that threatened to take away his life. Pretty good story, wouldn't you say? You know, we preachers learn sooner or later that people may forget our sermon title. They may forget the scripture reference we used. They may forget the points of our sermon or even the point of our sermon. But they always remember the stories, (laughs) especially the good ones. I think that explains why one of Jesus' favorite ways to teach was through stories. Jesus would take whatever truth he was trying to communicate, and many times he would wrap it around a memorable story, or as we call them, parables. Parables, the word parable, comes from a Greek word that means to lay alongside of. And that's what parables do. They take eternal truth, and they lay them alongside of stories of everyday life. Today, we're going to begin a brand new series of messages based on the parables of Jesus. I'm calling them Jesus' Favorite Stories. We're going to look at some great issues about life and eternity that Jesus chose to communicate through everyday stories. Now, today, as we begin this series on the parables, I need to just say several things by way of introduction about parables so that you can understand them as we examine them. First of all, parables are not allegories. You know, in an allegory, everything in a story is representative of something else. This means that, this means that, this means that. In a parable, there is only one truth that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Secondly, parables have to be understood in the culture in which they're written. Quite frankly, some of the parables we're going to look at, they seem strange to us. At times they seem unfair because we're reading them with a 21st century Western mindset. As one commentator said, to understand the parables, you need to be able to smell the aroma of the Jewish villages. You need to be able to feel the dust on your feet of those those dusty roads. And that's what we're going to try to do in these parables, to give you the culture in which they were written. And then finally, parables have to be read in context. These are not isolated stories Jesus uh, told to entertain. Instead, every parable that Jesus told had a context to it. It was told in order to address an important issue or to answer a question. 
It's important that we understand the setting of these parables. And that's certainly true in the first parable we're going to look at briefly today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 3. Now, this is crucial to understand. In the first 12 chapters of Matthew, Jesus is presented to Israel as the promised Messiah. The Messiah who came to set up his kingdom upon earth. The kingdom of God that would be characterized by perfect peace and perfect righteousness. Jesus legitimately offered to set up his reign on earth if Israel would accept him. But the pivotal point in Matthew is Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, when the Pharisees, representing the Lord, or representing Israel, the Pharisees rejected the Messiah. And thus, all Israel rejected the Messiah. Now, beginning in chapter 13, three changes take place in Jesus' ministry until his crucifixion. Three changes in Jesus' ministry. First of all, his message changes. There's a change in his message. No longer does Jesus talk about the visible kingdom of God on earth. It's not that the kingdom of God is canceled. It's simply postponed to a later date. Jesus never said, I'm going to give up on the idea of establishing my kingdom on the earth. There is coming a day when Christ will rule on this planet when Satan will be bound and that this world will be characterized by perfect righteousness and justice and peace. That coming time is the millennium that we've talked about in our study on prophecy. There is a visible kingdom coming. Jesus is not canceling the kingdom. He is just postponing it to a future date. And instead, beginning in Matthew 13, Jesus' message was the kingdom of God occurs right now in the hearts of individual men and women who trust in him. Right now, the kingdom of God is operating secretly in the hearts of individual men and women who trust in Christ. That's the mystery of the kingdom of God. By the way, you don't have to wait until you die to experience the kingdom of God in your life. You can experience it right now, in a sense, when you allow Christ to rule in your heart. You don't have to wait till you die to experience the benefits of heaven. There are great benefits right now that occur to your life when you allow Christ to have the final say in every part of your life. So in this point, in chapter 13, the message changes. Not only does the message change, but there's a change in audience as well. No longer is Jesus going to address the entire uh, nation of Israel. Instead, he is offering the kingdom to individual Jews and Gentiles. A change in audience. And then finally, there's a change in teaching methods. It's at this point that Jesus began to speak in parables. In fact, the reason that he spoke in parables is very clear when you get down to verse 11 and to verse 19. He spoke in parables in order to obscure the truth to people who had rejected him. That's strange to us. Why would Jesus ever purposefully obscure the truth? When people reject the truth of God, God hides his truth from them. And that's what was happening here. Jesus spoke in parables to obscure the truth from those who had rejected him, but to teach truth to those who had a desire to know him. 
Now, there are four parables in Matthew 13, and they all deal with the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God. What is the mystery of the kingdom of God? The mystery is this, that right now God is working in the hearts of men and women who trust in him. And these four parables teach us a different truth about the kingdom of God, how it is that the kingdom of God is secretly at work right now. The first parable we look at, beginning in verse 3, answers this important question. Why doesn't everyone who hears the message of the kingdom receive the message of the kingdom? Why isn't it that everyone who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ receives the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you ever wondered about that? Why is it in a group like this or any group, a person can hear the same message, everyone hears the same message, some receive the message, others reject the message? Why is that? Why is it in your family? You can have one child who receives the gospel and becomes a Christian and the other who rejects the gospel. How do you explain that? Jesus explains it in this parable. Now remember, you have to understand the culture And uh, Israel was an agricultural society. And so Jesus uses an illustration from agriculture to explain why it is some people receive the Gospels, others reject the Gospel. Look at verse 3 of Matthew 13. And Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed. Now, In Jesus' day, if you wanted to plant seed, there weren't huge farm machinery to plant seeds. Instead, a sower would simply put a bag around his shoulder, and he would reach in and grab a handful of seed, and he would start spreading the seed as he walked down the road. He would just spread or scattered seed. That's what a sower did. And the seed that was cast as the sower would walk would fall on different kinds of soil. And I want you to notice the four different kinds of soil that Jesus says the seed fell on. As Jesus told this story, I think his listeners probably sitting on the side of a hill could actually look out and see sowers who were going up and down sowing the seed. Now notice the four kinds of soil on which the seed fell. First of all, there was hard soil. Look at verse 4. And as the sower sowed, some seed fell beside the road And the birds came and ate them up. Now, this hard soil was the soil that was closest to the road. It was compacted because of the human traffic that would would pound that soil day in and day out. It became very hard and therefore it was impenetrable. When the seed fell on this hard ground, it couldn't penetrate the soil. It would just lie on the top of the surface of the soil. And uh, sometimes the birds would come and snatch it away. Or the human feet or the animal feet would decimate the seed. The point is, this hard soil could not receive the seed. And then in verse 5, there was a second kind of soil, the thin soil. Look at verse 5. And other seed fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil... And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they weathered away. Underneath the Palestinian soil, there was a thin layer of limestone. Sometimes in places where the soil was very thin, this limestone would be only a couple of inches beneath the surface. 
And so when seed fell on this kind of soil, the thin soil, it would begin to take root. But when it started to grow roots, the roots couldn't penetrate the limestone. And so having nowhere else to go, uh, the plant would sprout upward above the ground. And many times the foliage that it produced was the first of any other plant around it. And sometimes it was foliage that was more beautiful and brilliant than any of the other plants, simply because there was no root system. Now, the only problem was, even though these plants were the first to bloom, they were also the first to die. Because when the hot Palestinian sun would come, it would scorch the plant, and the plant would die because it had no root system from which to gather the moisture and the nutrients that it needed underneath the ground. That was thin soil. Now look at verse 7. The third kind of soil Jesus talked about was the weed-infested soil. Verse 7. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked them out. Underneath the soil in many places was a vast network of weeds. And when seed fell on this weed-infested soil, it would implant itself. It would start to grow roots. But the weeds that had been there much longer would overtake the roots and strangle the life out of the plant. There is a fourth kind of soil in verse 8, and that was the good soil. Look at verse 8. And others fell on the good soil, and it yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, what is the purpose of this story? Obviously, Jesus was interested in more than principles of soil conservation. He had a reason for telling this story. And Jesus says very clearly, those who really want to know the truth of this parable, I'll be happy to share it with you. Jesus was happy to explain to those who really wanted to know the truth. And so, after verses 11 through 18, in which uh, Jesus explains that God's truth is reserved for only those who want to know God's truth, he gives us the meaning of the parable beginning in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Jesus makes it very clear beginning in verse 19 that the seed, and I want you to write this down, the seed represents the word of God, okay? The seed represents the word of God. This is important to understand. If you try to make seed represent salvation, you're going to run into all kinds of problems about people losing their salvation, having it snatched away. The seed doesn't represent salvation. It represents the word of God. And the sower represents anyone who spreads the word of God. Anyone who spreads the word of God. doesn't have to be a paid professional like me. It's anyone who teaches or shares the word of God, whether it be a Sunday school teacher, whether it be you and sharing your faith with an unbeliever, or you sharing a word of exhortation with another Christian, the sower is anyone who spreads the word of God. By the way, the job of the sower is not to manufacture the seed. Our job isn't to come up with the seed, to make the seed. The seed's already been manufactured. Our job is simply to spread it. Our job is to spread the Word of God. Well, why is it that the Word of God has such different responses among different people? Why do some people readily accept the Word of God and other people soundly reject it? It all has to do 
with the condition of a person's heart. It's a person's heart condition that determines whether he receives the seed or he rejects the seed. And that's the point that Jesus is going to make beginning in verse 19. He says the hard heart, the hard soil represents the impenetrable heart. The impenetrable heart. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. This hard heart is the result of someone who has rejected and rejected the truth that has been shared with them. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know why people reject God? It's not because of a lack of evidence about God. It's because of a lack of desire to know God. You see all of these books by Dawkins and others coming on about the new atheism, the new atheists who are boldly proclaiming there is no God. Why do they do that? Is it because they've discovered some new evidence that there is no God? No. It's not the lack of evidence that has made them an atheist. It's their lack of desire to know God. I heard a statement years ago I have never forgotten. A man's morality determines his theology. A man's morality determines his theology. When a person is a reprobate, is living as a rebel against God, he doesn't want to believe there is a creator to whom he is responsible. He allows his morality or lack thereof to choose for him the philosophical position that will allow him to continue in his unbelief. By the way, you find that in the book of Romans. Remember Romans chapter 1? Paul explains how everyone can have a knowledge of God. Just by looking at creation, you can know there is a God. And those who accept that knowledge, God gives more light and leads them to know Jesus Christ. But those who have rejected the light that God gives them, remember what the Word of God says? God gives them over. He gives them up to debauchery and immorality. And thus begins that endless cycle of rejection, sin, unbelief. Rejection, sin, and unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 3, it tells us that the Israelites, because of their unbelief, were unable to enter into the land. At Pathway to Victory, we don't want anyone, not one single person, to walk in darkness. Our mission is to teach the Bible with boldness and conviction so that everyone who hears this program chooses to walk in the light. Any day now, you're likely to receive a letter from me that I want you to pay special attention to. And here's why. On this Memorial Day, as we think about those who serve our country in the military, I wanted you to read some comments I received from Major Diaz, a proud member of the U.S. Army. In a beautiful note, he shared about reading one of my children's books to his five-year-old son while tucking him into bed one night. Well, that turned into a sacred moment because his son tearfully prayed to trust in Christ as his Savior. We not only care about families in the military, we care about their children as well, and yours as well. 
In that spirit, I'd like to send you my brand new book I mentioned earlier. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. My book is colorfully illustrated. It's entertaining. And best of all, it affords you an occasion to have sacred moments with your children or grandchildren, just like the one Major Diaz described. In this book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, I'll share 10 easy Bible stories, parables from the lips of Jesus, that provide a foundation for faith that endures. And remember, my brand new book is yours when you give a much-needed gift toward the new matching challenge that's been activated today. Thank you for standing with me in Pathway to Victory to advance the gospel to change lives. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand new illustrated children's book, Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. To make your request, call 866-999-2965, or even easier, simply go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete unedited CD and DVD teaching sets for our series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, your gift right now will be double in impact through our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. So be sure to get in touch today. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your donation by mail. Here's the mailing address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress concludes this message called Matters of the Heart. That's Tuesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.